As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10, place your first bet on any game, and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager. Whoop, there it went, Drancer. The streak is over. They went to Florida. We knew it was going to be tough on so many levels because of the quality of opponents that they're going to be facing on this road trip, but also the layoff the Canucks have had to endure before getting on the ice for an actual game. They didn't have the tune-up game they could have, but look, we've got hockey to talk about, so that in itself is great. We've got a few little side notes from the game, which is side notes. interesting, <laughs> interesting, but hey, we're back at it, my friend. Lots of distractions in South Florida, my friend. It is a tough place to play now. I don't know how you could have ever left. I, that was one of those where I'm like, oh, thank goodness I don't have to take a single call about this. Yeah, you know, like, I'm kidding. I'm so glad my phone's not blowing up with people being like, any comment on this twerking video? <laughs> no, no, zero, thanks. <laughs> Look, the, the funny thing about it too is PR guy hat on. Great news for the Panthers. This is great for the Cats, right? Like, one thing you're always going to struggle with in a market that has, you know, the Dolphins and the Heat, right? Who who will play in Miami-Dade when you're up in Broward by the, you know, fringes of the Everglades. is like, it's hard to make the Panthers South Beach sexy, you know? And, and look, Kodak Black's not South Beach sexy. He's from Broward specifically. Uh, but there's you know, something that fits within that, like, South Florida milieu about that whole scene. Um, I think it's great for the Panthers. And the fact that it's huge news, right? I mean, the New York Post has the headline. It's a brilliant headline. Kodak Black twerked his way into becoming a hockey legend. And the piece quotes Kodak Black from Instagram Live, noting that he put the enchilada in the pinata. (laughs) Yeah, for me, for me, if I'm... uh, if I'm fielding calls uh, on this as a, as a Panthers press agent, I'm just like, look, I know it's embarrassing, but it's so good for us. Just chill. Just relax. Just enjoy. We don't have to comment in any way, but just this is good. Yeah, no, it was. Uh, <laughs> it, there's so many uh, there's so many ways to go with that. But uh, yeah, you, you can't overly complain about it because you're talking Florida Panthers and uh, well, yeah, uh, you you could spin this. You I mean you you would be the master at this. 
I mean, I don't think it spins itself. That's one of the, it this does. is one of the good ones. Um, but no, I mean, uh, look, it's, uh, it's one of those games where like, I thought the Canucks' best period was the second period. And at the end of it, they were buried, right? Like it just, yeah, no question. You know, you give a team like the Panthers a couple chances and game's over game's done. Um, I thought Jonathan Huberto and Aaron Eckblad in particular looked studly. Um, a the play on which Mott takes the penalty, and it was a soft call that resulted in Huberto's game winner on the power play. But that play, the way he comes in and he did this quick forehand backhand deke followed by a quick pop pass into the middle, found I think it was Declare streaking, and then he has that finish that lefty finish from the circle you know you know what it reminded me a lot of Farhan um it reminded me a lot of prime Daniel Sedin and and I've watched a lot of Jonathan Huberto and I've never thought this about this comparison until last night and I think it's because Huberto's probably put on like he looks on television anyway like he's put on an extra 10 pounds of muscle he's winning more battles on the wall it looks to me like he's pretty clearly the driver of the NHL's second-best offense. And I've watched this guy play hundreds of games, right? I've watched him play hundreds of practices. Um, but now that he's got this small area game, now that he's winning battles along the wall in a certain way, um, yeah, I, I, it just, it light went on in my head, and I thought, this guy looks like, this guy looks like prime Danny. Um, that's incredible. And, uh, and, yeah, I mean, that team is, that team is a juggernaut. Well, when we looked at this game, you know, and you mentioned that the Canucks were actually pretty good in the second period. And, and that's the tough part of this game for Vancouver, because even, you know, in the first they started slow, but the goals came a minute apart and they actually came against the run of play. And then you have that same moment in the second period where the Canucks were playing really well and bam, bam, two more goals and it's 4-1 and the game's essentially over at that point. Because at 2-1, to one, you probably thought, you know, yeah, they went down 2 to nothing. They scored a goal and they're like... Yeah, you know what? The Canucks will probably find a way to manage a point here just because of the way things had been going in their previous nine. You know, that that goal that got them back on the board was um, not necessarily a fortunate goal, but, you know, short side, Jason Dickinson, not a guy that necessarily scores a lot. But yeah, that's the way things have been going for this team. You know, under under Boudreaux, you thought the outcome was going to be different, but you, it can't just happen because so quickly, Florida, with their quality, they're in a position to change it. Because when you look at the overall numbers here, yeah, you know, Corsi Canucks were slightly ahead scoring chances. It was more Florida, but it wasn't egregious numbers. Um and one thing that was pretty clear was this was high event hockey with the number of scoring chances on both sides. It was a sloppy game though, right? Like I didn't feel like either team was particularly sharp. But Florida can play however, and they still have the offensive talent to get them through those games. Totally. They, and I mean, I think the Canucks breakouts or the Canucks four checks slowed them down a little bit. Like I think they, they couldn't get off to the races the way they wanted uh, the Panthers anyway. And, and then for the Canucks, you know, I thought that the Panthers, like, there was this concern going into the game that maybe the Panthers' forecheck would just hem the Canucks in their own end. But instead, it was the red line turnovers, right? It was like the Panthers just played the entire game. The Canucks got out of their zone, but it felt like they didn't consistently enough get through center ice. Um and, you know, I didn't feel like the Canucks had that many glorious chances until the second half of the game, really, or, or at least until the second period. In the second period, they started to sort of carry uh, the balance of, of dangerous 
looks, but it was really that, you know, first period, I thought, other than the Dickinson chance, which was kind of a softy, like Bobrovsky should have had it. Um, mm-hmm. I couldn't even mention to you a big Canucks chance, whereas the Panthers had, like, the Bennett miss and the Forsling post. Like, I thought it easily could have been 4-1 after one, and then the script kind of flips in the first half of that second period, and the Canucks start to have the balance of chances, and then the Panthers just needed two, and it was kind of done. And from there, the Canucks you know, massively outshoot them and on and on. And it's like, you know, you don't take a lot of value from it. They never made it close again. So, um, you know, considering the circumstances, right, considering the layoff, considering the quality of the opponent, uh, considering the distractions in a private suite, <laughs> I, uh, I think you'd look at that game and say, you know, on balance, the Canucks played well. Um, I don't think you can take it as a referendum on, on where this team is or like the distance, they still have to go, you know, like they're still finding their legs. I think that showed, I thought their legs came back more quickly than their hands. Um, right. Like it just didn't feel like the team was particularly sharp. Uh, there were some defensive moments that I, I really didn't like, particularly from Niels Hoaglander. Um, but, you know, there there's wasn't a ton to write home about in terms of the game overall, except that the Panthers' offense is wildly uh, impressive. The Canucks, you know, aren't as good after 10 days off as they should, as they would be with two days off. And, boy, this road trip's hard. Like, other than that, I think if you're taking more than that from this game, um, you know, I don't, I don't know... I think not, not that you're out to lunch, just that it doesn't seem like like there's an, a lot of context needed in evaluating this team. You know, this is not the pure measuring stick road trip that perhaps we had in mind or Jim Rutherford had in mind as he name checked it on his introductory press conference. Right. Like this is not the road trip that's going to prove what this team is just because the context surrounding it is so cloudy. And. You know, the, the layoff is such a big part of that context because Florida was on a roll. They were they were playing consistently throughout. How much do you think it affected Thatcher Demko? How would you break down his performance? I, th- I mean, I, I don't know. Like that tip, the Reinhardt tip, that's a really tough save. The Ekblad shot, I don't think he saw it at all. Uh, Ek sort of froze Pedersen, moved him kind of into the lane. Uh, and Ekblad's one of the, what, top three or four most consistent goal-scoring defensemen in hockey. Like, he's got a blast. He's going to score. Uh, that Huberto wrist shot, what are you going to do? Like, that's just a tip of your cap one. Um, you know, the Mammon backhand. Like, yeah, I mean, Mammon's not a great finisher or whatever, but he put it roof. Like, I don't know, I don't know what goal people want Demko to have back, to be honest with you. I, I saw some, like... Well, Demko was playing human, and it's like, yeah, I mean, I, I know how Demko, I know where Demko's expectations are, and they're through the roof, but, and I'm sure there's some that he'd like back, but I'm not going to sit there and say, like, that's a goalie loss for the Canucks. It wasn't. They needed, they, he would have had to be superhuman for the Canucks to win that game, and and so often he has been, but he's not going to be that every night. No one is. Yeah, no question. I mean, I, and like I said, I, I don't think he played poorly, uh, but yeah, I think I think they've been getting such unbelievable performances. It, it just looked a little bit more like a Travis Green performance for Thatcher Demko, which wasn't bad, just wasn't as elite as he's been under Bruce Boudreaux. But I think he's going to get back there. I think just goaltending as much as anybody else, like those guys need 
rhythm if you're a starter, right? Oh, he, but he's not going to get back to it. He's not going to be a 950 goaltender just because they changed the coach. Yeah, uh, yeah. I mean, that, that was a high bar. That was a high bar. But I, I <laughs> you know, I, I think that there's, yeah, I think a, there's something outrageous. in between. I think there's something. There's a, we talked about it on the last show that there is a number in the middle. But you know what he did under Green versus what he's been doing to this point, sure. where he probably settles that, right? Yeah. So and well, but uh, and, know, but if it's nine fifteen to nine twenty, that's like all you can reasonably expect, right? He's been giving the Canucks like thirty points better than that save percentage goaltending. And they've been carving out all these narrow wins. Like the stat that sort of caused my eyes to bug out a little bit was when J-Pat, our old pal J-Pat, pointed out that in Boudreaux's tenure, the Canucks were 28th in overall offense in the NHL. Now, they've only played nine games and a lot of other teams have played 12 or more. Um, But, you know, three goals a game is what they're averaging, 27 uh, goals over that nine game stretch. And, And I guess they added two more. So now we're looking at 29 over 10. So just under three goals a game. And like, that's okay. That's okay. But you have to be really good defensively to make that work. You know, that's, that's, that was the formula for this Canucks team. They were winning a ton of those one goal games. They were winning shootouts. They were winning overtimes. They were hanging in there on the back of really great goaltending. Um, It wasn't this, you know, I feel like this team's been talked about as this like high flying group now that Boudreaux's, you know, come in and gone more aggressive and he has gone more aggressive, but like, a lot of it comes down to Demko, you know, as the sample expands, I'm really curious to see what they look like playing in front of a really, really good, like, a high-end starter version of Demko, as opposed to the guy who has a force field in the net, Demko, that was his first nine games. What about the other players? And you can't really put Ilias Pettersson in this category because he didn't ultimately miss any games, even though he was in protocol for a bit, just missing practice time. But as far as Besser's concerned, Dickinson, hey, look, you got the goal, uh, which is a lot for Jason Dickinson. But the guys that have been in protocol for a long time that it clearly justifiably could potentially affect because they haven't been on the ice much. Just what would you make of Brock Besser's game last night? I, I didn't I didn't think much of it, to be honest with you. Right. Like, yeah. I don't I don't know that he was the same assertive version of Besser that we've seen, you know, certainly since the coaching change or that we saw throughout last season. Um, you know, he played a lot like he played, what, 16 ish minutes, five on five. I thought he played OK, but I can't remember like a, a moment where he, you know, where, where, where the flowed flow or where the flow flowed, as it were, right? Like, I can't, I can't think of a moment in the game where I was like, oh boy, you know, from that line, from that entire line, really. Like, Pod, same goes for Pod Colson. I can't think of like a moment where Pod Colson looked particularly lethal. Uh, same goes for JT Miller. You know, like, I thought the Bo Horvat line was Vancouver's best. I thought that Horvat Dickinson. Uh, Garland group was by far Vancouver's best, but you know, other than that, um, like other than that, I, you know, Tanner Pearson, JT Miller, I guess fought Gudis. I thought that was badass to challenge a guy right after a goal has been scored. I thought that was cool, but it's like, not there, a wasn't lot of- a, there wasn't a punch thrown in the fight. It was just a hug fest. <laughs> yeah. Well, that's okay. Gudis is a but tough guy. Listen, before, before we leave Besser though, um, Boudreaux talked about, you know, these guys are going to, we're going to keep their shifts short and, you know, they're, they're not going to play as much. He blew away all forwards in ice time with over 22 minutes in this game, 22 and a half minutes. I mean, the next closest was JT Miller at 1940, Bo Horvat 1919. Like, where did that come from? 
Yeah, I mean, I don't know. <laughs> he led them all uh, in even strength ice time too, and so did Pod. Like Pod Colson was second, only thirty eight seconds back. Um, you know, certainly an interesting sort of lineup. You know, I guess Highmore and Mott. I thought had a good game. Like, I don't know. I didn't think any forwards had a particularly good game. I didn't think the Canucks looked sharp. And I don't think that's a surprise, right? Like, it's just not a surprise. I felt like they got swallowed up a little bit. And I don't know what else you can expect when they're playing their fourth game in 25 days and starting a road trip after a cross-continental trip against a team like that. Like, I don't know. I don't think it would have been reasonable to expect anything else except that we would have praised them lavishly if the game had kind of looked like that, but it had been a gutty 2-1 or 3-2 win because the goalie had standed on their head. Like, that was the route to winning, I feel like. I, I just, it, you know, the, the playing field was not particularly level for this Canucks team in that game. Looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, Everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. So, Drancer, out of the frying pan and into the fire, the one-two punch top two teams in the league or top two teams in the East, at least Tampa, is up next. Yeah, I mean, they're fun to watch. <laughs> you know, like, it'll be fun to watch. Um, and they have Kucherov back now, and he scored a Hattie. <laughs> this Tampa team is unfair, man. They're so good. They're so good. Like, they lost three top-line caliber contributors, or at least two top-line caliber contributors, and also Barkley Gaudreau. And doesn't feel like they missed a beat. I mean, they're not quite as good as they were last year, I think. Teams like the Panthers and the Leafs and their division will think they're more gettable now than they have been. But woof, that's a tough opponent, a really tough opponent for the Canucks on Thursday night. Yeah, I mean, it was, so once again, as we look at this game, the path to victory would potentially be Thatcher Demko standing on his head because we, we fully expect him to continue playing here. Yeah, and, you know, the, the Canucks will need to win the special teams battle, right? They didn't. Last night, for the first time, really, in, in what feels like a long time, right? Um, you gotta, you got to stay out of the box against that Tampa Bay power play, especially now that Kucherov's back. Man's an artist, five on four. Um, yeah, I mean, it's look, they're, these are really good teams. These are really good teams. And, you know, we'll see how they do. Hey, what, what did you think, by the way, about the Canucks not putting Halak in for the third period? Yeah, you know what? I, I thought it would have been an easy move at that point when you've given up five already and you know the game's over. Uh, I, I thought, you know, especially given, you know, the amount that Demko is going to play here, but I, there's a, a few ways to look at it, right? I mean, ultimately, you probably want to get Demko just more more and more ice time right now, just kind of get him comfortable for the front end of the trip, right? It's not like he's been overworked because he's missed nine days, right? Um, I, I My understanding is like, as far as Halak's concerned, it's based on starts, not appearances, uh, as far as where his, you know, his contractual markers are. So no, playing for the played. third. It's a games played bonus. Is it games? It's not started? Okay. So yeah, so, I mean, I'm, sh I'm sure that had everything to do with it then. Do, do, do you? Yeah, like why wouldn't it? If you're if you're actually looking at just giving yourself options, 
right? As the month progresses, I think it's a big ask for the Canucks to stay under the number, right? Because they're only like a couple of games away from it, right? Yeah. Uh, as far as his starts or appearances are concerned. So I think if you want to give yourself that option, you, you don't you don't waste it because of a period, right? You, you're going to use them if you need them. It, pr- pretty so, funny. Pretty funny. We were like brought that up as like a tell 10 days ago, right? And now it's like oh, everyone's and now it's everyone's talking about it. <laughs> it's like a big thing, um, which was not my intention. Right. Like I was just bringing it up as like something interesting to watch that would be the Canucks tipping their hand in one one direction or the other. Um, but the yeah, I mean, I asked Boudreaux about it post game because I was like, you know, is there something here? I, I was a little surprised. Like it didn't feel like, you know, I, I, well, it, it felt like an easy change to make. But also, I do get that you know the, some of the decisions that this team's making right now are a little bit off the board because of their you know coping with a totally ridiculous schedule, right? Like they're coping with so many different types of weighing so many different types of factors that I wondered how much that had played into it. And and from Boudreaux's formulation, anyway, get, you know, just keeping Demko in to make saves and get work was like part of the thinking in why Demko himself anyway wanted to stand. Yeah, that's my point. You buy that though? Yeah, well, first of all, do I buy that Demko wanted to stand? Absolutely. Yeah, Yeah, I I do, right? And the fact that that's just how he's wired. And there is some truth to that, right? Did you want to get this guy back on a roll? And even if it means a clean third period, uh, you know, which ultimately they got, there's there's positive to that uh, as far as Demko is concerned and just kind of getting reacclimated, right? Because he he's a guy that's shown us consistency this season, right? I mean, he went from good to incredible. There wasn't a bad period in there under Travis Green. So, you know, he needs to kind of push to get there. And I, and I think I think the player we talked about earlier that was most affected by the left is Brock Besser because during since Boudreaux's arrival, Besser's been a different player. Right? Yeah. Like he is yeah. he's been exceptional. So you can see that if you're Boudreaux, you probably decided, okay, you know what? I was going to take it slow with him, but now I'm going to ride him because I need to get him touches and back in shape and back into form because, you know, he's such a streaky player that if we can get him anything here in the third period, it'll be good for him because he just needs to kind of get back into that mindset. So I think I think those things are, are always going to be considered right now, right? Because... Um, for so many of these guys, it becomes mental. So from a from a bigger picture standpoint, right, as you look at the Canucks schedule and you've got Tampa and Carolina and Washington and Nashville, how much damage does this trip have the potential to do, right? Because of just how good things were going before. And we talk about what the minimum expectations are from a point standpoint to come out of this trip and say at least – you're you're in really good shape and something was gained by it right and we had you know we had talked about you know you come out of it 500 you probably feel pretty decent about it right uh, but more than decent but how much damage does this trip have the potential to do given the quality of opponent well the it's one of those problems too where it's like unlimited damage to the Canucks' realistic playoff hopes just because there's no margin right they have no margin for error like when you're as far behind the eight ball as the Canucks are, and I know people will point to the standings and be like, it's five points, it's four points. Like this NHL standings are designed to artificially make things look closer than they are, right? When there's, you know, all but two teams between you and a playoff spot, or I guess it's three teams, right? Seattle, Arizona, and and Chicago. So those teams are done. 
And then the Canucks are kind of the longest shot of the next group. But that group is like seven teams large, right? Outside of the three or, or sorry, outside of the six Western teams that I feel very comfortable uh, telling you are going to be in the playoffs, which is, you know, St. Louis, Vegas, Minnesota, Colorado. Um, there's one more central team in there, Nashville. Um, and then, you know, I already said Vegas, so let's let's add Calgary in. You've got those six teams that I think you feel very comfortable about. And, and like, the Canucks are way back of Anaheim and L.A. and Edmonton, um, although the Edmonton Oilers are reeling. And then, and then there's still, like, multiple other teams in with a shot, right? So when you start as far behind, behind the eight ball as the Canucks are, every loss hurts, and every win is a small brick in the wall, like in the miracle wall you're trying to build, right? The miracle bridge to the playoffs. Um, it's it's one of those unequal settings, right? Where it's every loss kills you and every win is just a small step. That's, that's what a slow start or the type of start that the Canucks had does to your season. So it's one of those things where it's like, if all, all you can really do is stay alive until, until you're playing in high leverage games because you built you know, enough of a wall, right? That you've got the edifice in place. Like you need to construct so much. So you need to be gaining ground at every stretch of the schedule. And how do you gain ground on this road trip with the context that surrounds it? I mean, it's really not a fair, like it's a cruel spot for this team to be in, but but it's where they find themselves. So, you know, I was saying one, three, one, right? One, three, one, that was my sort of litmus test for, probably does just enough to keep the fire burning, the, the playoff hope fire burning for this team. But then they come home and the next four are St. Louis, Florida, Edmonton, Winnipeg. And so it's like, even if you go one through one, you kind of need to do three of those four once you get home. Like these next, I guess it's four plus four. These next eight are, you know, potentially decisive if you can't go about 500 in them. Let's uh, let's look ahead. Like we, you know, we talked a little bit about this team and and Tampa, um, another team that's just on a roll right now. Like when you look at Florida and Tampa, and you look at their results, do you view them as as teams that are just rolling right now, or you just say, no, no, this is just who they are? Oh, the, I mean, the Lightning are incredible. Um, I think the I think the Panthers are better than the Lightning this year, though. Really? Yeah. Well, except the Vasilevsky. Like, I think they're better in front. But would I pick the Panthers to defeat the? Uh, lightning in a playoff series I'm not sure because I mean as much as Bobrovsky made a ton of saves last night I didn't think he looked particularly stellar did you like I you know I thought no, the Canucks, no, no he was fine he was okay I the Canucks I thought the Canucks were a shot or two away from getting back in that game the whole way through um you know Vasilevsky is a different animal like Vasilevsky is the best goalie in hockey so you know when you when you fat once you factor that edge in I think the Lightning are probably still better. But in terms of how they play, in terms of what danger they pose to teams, in terms of their ability to just embarrass opponents on a nightly basis, um, I kind of think the Panthers are a more imposing opponent this season. Uh, yeah, I mean, it certainly seems like that team is ready to take the next step and legitimately challenge. Yeah, 100%. I'm just not sure about their goaltending. Like, that to me is, you know, is still a huge question mark. And they haven't really got good results over the course of the past month in, in goal. They've just been outscoring those issues. Um, you know, that's fine. That's fine for December and January. But uh, but in May and June, right, you need you need goalies who can steal you games. You need to be able to win one nothing, right, as the Lightning have proven over the course of the past two years. 
Looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human in customer service anytime. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. Drencher, I want to ask you about the breakaway goal. I mean, Barkov just blowing past OEL. Like you talk about goals and moments that have the ability to leave a mark. That could have been one of them. Yeah, and I thought OEL had a really good game aside from that, right? You just have one tough moment, and that's sort of the the image that everyone's kind of left with. Um yeah, I mean, not ideal. And look, I didn't, I didn't love Barkov's game last night. And and Barkov's one of my favorite players, obviously one of my favorite people. Um, I didn't love his game last night. I, it looked to me like Huberto was doing the driving for that team. Um, but yeah, I mean, that was a that was a scintillating moment. And then I saw people be like, he, you know, Demko, Demko should have that have that Barkov breakaway. And it's like, do you know how skilled Barkov is? Do you know he's one of the most effective shootout shooters in NHL history? Like. This guy's an absolute artist when it comes to finishing moves and, and breakaways and shootout goals. Like, you know, not, what, what are you going to do against a player like Barkov? But yeah, well, I mean, even, even a, a penalty moment. or a penalty shot coming wasn't going to help. It's not like they it's not like he even made a dent. No. Well, and, and again, I mean, what are you going to what, what's the benefit of sending a 60 plus percent shootout shooter to a penalty shot? You know, like there's no benefit there. There's it's no not, it's not a better situation. This guy's a. This guy's an ace. Like, he's an ace. Well, just watching it, it, it just looked like Edler, like, on so many levels beyond just the jersey number. Wow. Wow. Harsh. Well, like, you turn over at the blue line and then just can't skate anymore. And look, I think I think Ekman Larson's better than that. But in that little snippet of time, it just I felt like I was deja vu all over again. Yeah, fair enough. Drencher, I want to take a hard left turn here and just uh, another topic altogether. I mean, when you, you know, when you look at a type of player that would look so good on so many rosters, if you just took the on ice piece of it only, and that's Evander Kane, and it looks like the Edmonton Oilers are in hot, hot pursuit. That thing's not done yet. And two things, right? Number one, could take a while given the legal situation around, uh, not necessarily the law, but the NHL, right? And, and what, Kane did and what's going to be investigated now, but also the desperation level in Edmonton to even make a play for it. Yeah, I mean, well, now it looks like Kane's under further investigation, which might stop how quickly he can sign with a team. You know, I, what I'd been hearing was that Edmonton was seen by some of the teams that considered it to be the front runner too. Uh, so perhaps that still happens, although maybe not in as expedited fashion as the Oilers would have liked or, or as Kane's camp would have liked. Or other NHL teams sort of uh, trying to trying to sign him would have liked. Uh, looks like we're going to have to settle in here and, and wait for the NHL to finish up fi- figuring out what to do in terms of his uh, border crossing without medical clearance. But you know, Kane's a really unique piece, right? I, I mean, 
regardless of how this turns out, when you're a consistent 20-25 goal guy who's also a unique um, player type, right? Like a physically assertive power forward type player, like, you know, you're going to get opportunities, right? There, there's teams that will look at him and say, look, like this could be the answer to the Tom Wilson question. And that's something that teams will pay a premium for, or in Kane's case, not probably pay a premium for, but be willing to hold their nose anyway when it comes to a ton of, you know, pretty difficult moral questions and chemistry questions and fit questions, um, you know, and, and take a chance on them. From a Canucks standpoint, though, I mean, I, you know, obviously there's a lure for him to want to come back here. And his agent said he was going to reach out to the Canucks. We certainly view that where the Canucks are at a lot differently than they might potentially view themselves. Certainly if Jim Benning was the, the GM, he'd view it differently. Jim Rutherford has the ability to say, look, we're, we're not that far along yet. What kind of a fit would he be just in terms of where the team itself is in its current life cycle? The Canucks themselves, yeah. I mean, I think that I don't think the fit made any sense for the Canucks, right? Look, we're only ten games removed, aren't we, from questions about the makeup of this group, right? The culture around this team. Like, we're not far removed from that. It was only a month ago that we were like, oh, you know, what's going on there? What's going on in that room? They look like an unhappy team. Uh, you know, part of the logic that I think teams will talk themselves into in in rolling the dice on a Kane signing is that, you know, like we've got the leadership group that, you know, he can fit in with. And, um, you know, I don't, I don't know that the Canucks have that or should have that confidence, especially with where how this team has performed the last couple of years um, and what the vibes have been around them pre-Boudreau. And, and then throw into it that Kane's a finishing piece. Like Kane is a piece that you go and get to, you know, it, it, I mean, amp up for a playoff run. Like to... to upgrade your forward depth and add a physically assertive power forward type for a playoff run. Like if you are the Canucks, you know, for me, the logic of signing Kane would be like, if you think you can flip him in a couple months, like rebuild his value and flip him. Um, but I don't, I, I mean, I don't think the Canucks, I just, it just doesn't make sense. Like it doesn't make sense with where they're at uh, or with sort of what this group has looked like for the majority of the past calendar year. Yeah, for sure. And, and, you know, to my point earlier that, you know, if you were if you were Benning who wanted to believe the roster is closer to, you know, a, a locked in playoff team, not necessarily a contender, um, you might be more inclined to try to take that chance. Right. Because ultimately, it's not going to cost you anything to get them. Right. Like you could just um, the fact that San Jose has been able to move on from from the contract. I mean, you can just pick them up and, you know, so your, your opportunity cost is is whether or not you want to take on the contract or what ultimately his status rules that you can get, get um, you're going to have to pay him, right? Are you going to have to pay him on his old deal or will you just be able to, to sign him as a free agent, right? Um, given the way that uh, San Jose has handled it and what the NHL winds up ruling in terms of the legality of it, because obviously the PA uh, doesn't buy into the fact that he can just be released based on what's happened. Uh, here's the one thing about the Canucks right now. And again, unrelated to Kane, but as we move forward into the rest of this road trip, they are incredibly healthy. Right. When you look at what teams in the league are dealing with right now uh, in terms of number of guys that are out of their lineup based on on COVID or what have you, you know, you can debate the importance of Travis Hamannick to this lineup. And we'll talk about Hamannick in a sec. But outside of him and, and Sutter, who we've got to just kind of look past right now, they are ridiculously healthy. 
<laughs> Sorry, I'm I'm still trying to wrap my head around the idea that we can debate Travis Hamnick's value to this team. <laughs> I'm not I'm not wrong here, am I? <laughs> no. I don't think it's a matter of debate though, right? Like he's a third pair guy, right? He's a third pair guy when he's healthy at this point for this club. Um but yeah, and you're right. They are healthy. They are entirely healthy. Um yeah, you know, I I mean as far as we know, they're healthy and but but they're not sharp, right? I mean, it's like it's like there's um there's this thing, right? We have this idea of what fitness or or prime health looks like, right? And yet, when you look at studies about like survival rates of open heart surgeries, it's like people who are overweight by ten to twenty pounds actually fare the best. You know what I'm saying? Like uh, it's a weird, it's a, this sort of thing where it's like prime condition isn't necessarily prime health you know and and i actually heard from some doctors about this when i was talking about the canucks's covid outbreak last year because i kept being like this is the fittest healthiest group cross-section of our population and they were brought low and someone was like you know actually hockey players because of the way that they play because of that because of how rigorous their training is like you know, it, from a from a coping with disease standpoint, they're probably not as healthy as as like someone who's casually fit. Um, and it was an interesting sort of eye opening thing for me. So, you know, I, I think that the Canucks are healthy, but they're not in like prime game shape right now, right? And 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 I'd add too the Elias Pettersson thing. Like we don't know what the long-term impact of that wrist injury has been and how much that's colored this season. Um, you know, he would say not much, like he would say not much, but you, you never know because players don't level with anybody about that sort of thing. They don't even level with themselves about it. Right. So, um, you know, they're healthy. They are healthy from a game, from a man games loss perspective, but are they, at the top of their game, I'd, I'd probably say not, not quite, not, not with yeah, it's, the, it's, it's not the with soccer. The it's the soccer term, right? Fit versus form. Yeah, exactly. Are we still thinking the wrist injury at this point is still part of Elias Pettersson's story? Maybe, maybe. I mean, I don't think it's the whole part of Elias Pettersson's story. I think, I think the challenges go. I think the challenges go well beyond that. I think it's at this point probably mostly between the ears, right? But. Um, you know, I, I don't know that it's not part of it. I, I, you know, it's a, it was a severe injury. It cost him months of recovery and impacted, you know, his precision, one of the key parts of what's made him so effective. So, you know, I, I think, I think time will tell on that one. Yeah. See, I like, I'm just not willing to, to offer the crutch uh, no, just because, I, hey, hey, look, and, and look, this is, this I'm, is not me hating on Elise Pedersen. Um, for me, the biggest challenge has not been the finishing ability because you can hang that on the wrist. It's just been the inability or the lack of desire to attempt to take games over the way he did his first two years, coupled yep. with the fact that the play was trending in the wrong direction a year ago before the injury. So yep. I, I just I think this is a this is a continuation of that. And we've talked a lot about Pedersen for a while now, but now we've had a big sample size here. And you and I have been on different pages of this. So I'm going to ask you now, today, do you think we will ever get top form Pedersen back? Previously, you had said absolutely, and, and I, I've questioned it. Now I'm going to take it one step further and say flat out no. Um, are, are you hedging at all? 
Am I hedging at all on Pedersen? No, I believe in the I believe in the young man. I no, mean, so but again, let's let's understand the question. Okay, question is like what in the first two years? Where did we see Pedersen in terms of league hierarchy and what his his true impact is going to be? My opinion is Elias Pedersen was going to be an elite franchise level player, not Connor McDavid, who is a generational talent, best player in the world right. type of guy, but a guy that could be an Austin Matthews, right? A definite franchise player, like a oh. top five to top seven NHL player who you can absolutely build a franchise around and was going to be that player that the Canucks truly needed and haven't had here since Pavel Bure, right? Like after the first two years, that's my that was my belief on what we were going to see in Elias Pettersson. I don't believe we're ever going to see that here. Yeah. That I mean, said, I think he can still be a, like, I think we've gone from Austin Matthews to Mark Shifley, right? Like a solid to good top of the lineup. Like, I don't think he's going to be a bad player, right? I just think the ceiling as I see it is going to be that, you know, he's going to, he's not going to be elite. I, I don't know that we're ever going to get back to that guy or a guy that was trending to be him. I think we're going to see a good solid top of the lineup player when he gets his game back because he's not even that today, but I do think he can get to that point. Well, yeah, I remember after one season, we uh, we did like our high-end comps for what we thought Pedersen could be based on his career track record, and we chose Stamkos, and we were like, you know what, Stamkos' numbers are so off the page that we actually think this is probably too high for Pedersen, but we'll include it anyway because we like the stylistic fit. And then our low-end comparable was Paul Stastny, right? And, I mean, that's a first-line caliber player for a decade, and yeah, I mean... It, with what we've seen since, it looks like he's trending toward the lower end. Um, you know, I still think there's a chance that he's a franchise level player, but I never really thought that he was going to be in the Matthews class. Like Matthews is the best, um, is going to be the best goal scorer of the post OV era, right? Like the way that he generates shots and scoring chances is just completely and wholly unique. He can completely carry a line in a team's offense. Um, you know, I thought Pedersen had more of a shot to be a franchise player in that, you know, 80 to 85 point guy with stud two-way results mold, like more Datsuk than Crosby, right? Like more, more Datsuk than Ovi. Um, I still think there's a shot that he gets there, but yeah, I don't think you're wrong that the probability now that we've seen him play at a lower level for about 60 games begins to look like more or begins to look more like a player that's going to be a you know, first line caliber perennial all-star type as opposed to a franchise multiple cup winning, you know, killer. Yeah, I mean, I, I thought he was going to be able to, you know, be in that 95 to 90 point, you know, window for the bulk of his NHL career. I, I'm not sure we're going to see that now. And, and again, nobody is suggesting he's going to be a bad player. I just think there's too much talent there for that to happen. I do think he's going to be a first-line guy, but it'll be really, really curious to see. He clearly bet on himself with this contract, um, and I wonder what it looks like after this contract in terms of how we're going to view him, how the club is going to view him, and, and how his agents can justify viewing him. Yeah, I, I, you know, it's an interesting one because I think the – it was a bet on himself contract at the end, but I think that was what made the deal happen was, was Pedersen going down to three years, right? Like, I don't think, I think Pedersen wanted longer. I think it was team side skepticism 
that that caused the deal to be shorter. Uh, yeah, I, don't know I just that- think the team backed itself into a corner based on where they were at salary wise, right? They couldn't pay the additional money to keep them locked up longer, right? Um, I think there was real reservation about doing a long term deal. Really, like you think it was more that than it was, yeah. Just like I their think lack of flexibility. I think if they'd had, I think if they'd had the flex to go a little bit higher, they still would have probably ended up at five or six. Like I don't think they ever wanted max term. Interesting. Yeah. So it's a it's an interesting dynamic because that suggests that there was actually a little bit of skepticism on their end. Um, you know, I, again, I I still believe in Patterson. And I still think he's going to be, you know, better than the low end comps that we've thrown out on this podcast in a final assessment. Um, But we'll see. I mean, it's not looking good. And his line was the worst forward line that the Canucks put out on Tuesday against the Panthers, right? They were outscored by two. Um, They were on the ice for the Forsling post hit in the first period, right? Easily could have been 0-3 in terms of the, the five-on-five goal differential with that line on the ice. Like, that's not what you want to see. Um, but, you know, I, I, I can't get over the first 200 games. Like, I can't I can't wait what we've seen the last 40 above that yet. Um, but we're getting closer and closer to where I might be forced to. Well, more than anything else, Drance, I am just fired up that we finally had some games to talk about. And, yeah. and hopefully, hopefully, Pedersen trends in a different direction as this trip goes because the Canucks are going to need him. I mean, they just need a little more. They, like, again, doesn't need to carry them, but they need they need 10% more right now from him than, than what we're seeing. And then we can reassess and recalibrate at that point. But we're going to do this again on Friday after the Canucks Tampa game. We did shift our podcast schedule just so that we could have games to talk about instead of uh, lamenting the NHL schedule and whether or not the Canucks should have actually played that Sens game, which I believe they should have, right? I think ownership made a bad decision just in terms of what the the wrong, the long-term ramifications are and why it may have gotten to that point. But um, I, I just think you need to put this team in the best position possible to, to have some success, because if you get into the playoffs, you're going to be able to recoup dollars there. Well, so I, I respect not, the dollar argument. Yeah. Right? It's not too. my money. It's not my money. It's not my money. Well, especially right? Farhan, because we now know that it wasn't a 50% attendance that they were looking at. Yeah, it was it was trending in a, in a different direction. It was the government had pushed that hey, not they didn't demand, but they. My understanding, our understanding is they they were really kind of nudging them to get closer to a twenty five percent capacity because of the criticism the and, government was taking and, and with no, no food, food and beverage. beverage. Yeah, and yeah, and, so that and you know we we talked about this over the weekend and I I looked into it a little bit and um, you know I think that's exactly what happened was there were the back channel. The Canucks had a good sense that, in fact, this was going to be quite a bit uglier than than what um, than what uh, <laughs> than what people had thought. So, or or that what um, people had expected, and and so that sort of recasts the dollar argument too. But even not just from a playoff competitiveness standpoint, Farhan, but playing that Ottawa game before going to Florida just to give your team as good a shot as you can get to evaluate them fairly against elite competition, like. There's long-term value in that, especially with new management, right? Yeah, no, I, I think they, I think they made a mistake on that one. I get, I get the Islander one because the club had a heavy piece in that decision as well. But um, yeah, unfortunate they didn't get the game. But now we've got games to talk about, so we got to move on from that. And 
Friday is the next show after a Thursday game against Tampa. We'll look forward to bringing that show to you. In the meantime, Rob Pizzo and Sarah Sivian, along with Jesse Granger, they have got the Wednesday roundtable along with Julian McKenzie this week on the Athletic Hockey Show. Also, Michael Russo welcomes Capo Kakinen on this week's edition of Straight from the Source. As for us, thanks for listening to the VanCast. Please follow us on your favorite podcast platform. Don't forget to leave a rating and a review. Right now, you can get annual subscriptions to The Athletic for just $3.99 a month when you visit theathletic.com slash VanCast. Again, show returns Friday. Have a good one, Drancer. Enjoy the game on Thursday. Yeah, you too, man. Be well.